Friday, July the 9th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Pfizer lays out new jabs and Haiti descends into greater chaos. First, the world in brief. Pfizer said it would seek authorization to test a modified version of its vaccine to better fight the Delta variant of COVID-19. It also intends to test a booster jab of its current vaccine to be given between 6 and 12 months after the second dose. Pfizer says its vaccine already offers protection against the more infectious variant, but reckons its efficacy could be improved. Meanwhile, French research has found that antibodies acquired through natural infection offered inadequate protection against Delta, implying that people who have recovered from COVID-19 still need jabbing. Haiti slid deeper into crisis following the assassination of President Jovenel Moïse this week as two political rivals lay claim to being the Prime Minister. Ariel Henry had been scheduled to take up the role this week, but the interim Prime Minister, Claude Joseph, declared a, quote, state of siege tantamount to martial law. Haitian police blamed a hit squad compromising 26 Colombians and two Americans for Mr. Moise's murder. Stock markets fell amid jitters about the global economic recovery. The drop followed days of falling bond yields as investors have shifted money into government securities. The yield on the 10-year Treasury note dipped to its lowest level since February. The big American stock indices had their worst day in nearly three weeks. The S&P 500 fell 1.6% before recovering slightly. Africa recorded more than 251,000 new COVID-19 cases last week, a 20% increase compared with the previous seven days. That is the worst week on record for the continent, according to the World Health Organization. Vaccination rates remain low. Less than 2% of South Africans, for example, are fully jabbed. The WHO predicts that the third wave of infections will surpass the peak of the second. Fifteen American states agreed to support a bankruptcy plan that would dissolve Purdue Pharma, the manufacturer of OxyContin, an addictive painkiller. If approved by the courts, the company's assets would be moved into trusts held on behalf of plaintiffs currently suing Purdue for its alleged contribution to America's opioid epidemic. The European Union fined Audi, BMW, Porsche and Volkswagen more than $1 billion for colluding to limit the development and rollout of clean emissions systems. The German car company slowed the release of technology that would have allowed for less polluting cars. Daimler escaped a fine after revealing the scheme to the European Commission. Activists took to the streets in Hungary protesting a law in force since yesterday that criminalises the promotion of homosexuality in schools. Critics, foreign and domestic, have denounced the bill since its passage through Parliament last month. The European Parliament voted to take urgent legal action in response. Viktor Orban, Hungary's Prime Minister, said, quote, Brussels bureaucrats should stay out of Hungary's affairs. And fact of the day. Kidnappings in Haiti tripled last year compared with 2019. And now here's today's agenda. Halfway there. Corporate tax reform. The biggest overhaul of global corporate tax rules in a century may come one step closer this weekend. G20 finance ministers are expected to give their blessing to an OECD-brokered agreement designed to curb tax avoidance through havens. The deal includes a reallocation of taxing rights and a global minimum corporate tax of at least 15%. Some 130 countries and territories are on board, including America, most of the European Union and, tentatively, China. 
All being well, final details will be agreed in time for the next G20 meeting in October. Several hurdles remain. Among the holdouts is Ireland, which has a veto over EU tax policy. The EU must still make peace with America over the former's planned quote digital services tax, which, in American eyes, unfairly picks on its tech giants. And the Biden administration will struggle to get the wider deal through Congress. Taxing, indeed. Elegant Symmetry The ECB's Inflation Target European monetary policymakers are victims of their own success. Keen to establish their inflation-busting credibility, in 2003 they agreed to limit price growth to quote, below but close to 2% over the medium term. But since 2013, inflation has been far below that mark. Yesterday, they announced a symmetrical inflation target of around 2%, meaning that undershooting the target will now be taken as seriously as overshooting it. Christine Lagarde, the ECB's president, also promised, quote, especially forceful or persistent measures when interest rates could go no lower and weak inflation expectations might become entrenched. The new approach is simpler than the old. But both Ms Lagarde and Mario Draghi, her predecessor, have said before that they would tolerate inflation of above 2%, and yet still it sagged. Why should anyone believe them this time? Asked this question, Ms Lagarde pointed to the ECB's Governing Council's unanimity, and lessons learned about how fiscal and monetary policy can support each other. But without new tools and little change to the numerical target, some are sceptical. Gone South South Sudan at 10 South Sudan was born in a flurry of optimism. Today, on its 10th anniversary, things look less rosy. Salva Kiir, the president, has ruled since independence from Sudan. His party has proven to be murderous, larcenous and incompetent. Few outside the political elite have benefited from statehood. The country's western backers share some blame. Woefully naive American officials handed out Milton Friedman's quote, capitalism and freedom to warlords preparing to swap their uniforms for suits. Globally, South Sudan is the sixth hardest place to do business, according to the World Bank, and it comes last on Transparency International's Corruption Index. There is some reason for cautious optimism. A fragile deal that ended South Sudan's five-year civil war in 2018 has quelled tribal conflicts. Diplomats hope it can be parlayed into a power-sharing agreement. But what is really needed is Mr Keir's resignation. That seems unlikely. Log-jammed politics. Bulgaria's election. Since April, Bulgaria, the European Union's poorest country, has been in limbo since elections were held in April. The party of Boyko Borisov, the oligarchic prime minister who has dominated the country's politics since 2009, came out on top, but could not form a government. Neither could the opposition, united only by its loathing of Mr Borisov. So on Sunday, Bulgarians vote again. The anti-Borisov bloc looks likely to get marginally more votes this time, boosted by recent allegations of corruption in high places, wiretapping of opposition MPs and vote buying. Whoever prevails, the first question for the new government will be whether to lift Bulgaria's veto on North Macedonia starting talks to join the EU. Bulgaria complains that its neighbour refuses to acknowledge the Bulgarian roots of Macedonian history and language. The veto has angered EU member states that favour North Macedonia's ascension, the other Western Balkan states hoping to join the EU, 
Worry it sets a dangerous precedent. Footnotes America's Departure from Afghanistan Joe Biden has accelerated the process slightly, promising that the last troops would leave by August 31st, ahead of the symbolic September 11th, 2021. But America's withdrawal from Afghanistan is nearly complete. After a confused handover, the embattled country is on the brink of collapse. Our stringer in Afghanistan has been reporting on the situation. He found this report by the Afghanistan Analyst Network, a think tank based in Kabul, the capital, helpful in understanding the unexpected collapse of Afghan forces in the north of the country. Many districts are not being taken by force, but rather are simply being handed over to the Taliban. Although many Afghans fear the militant groups' relentless advance, the government's proposed response of mobilising militias fills them with dread. This report by Human Rights Watch serves as a grim reminder of the violence unleashed by warlords' private armies and the legal impunity they enjoyed. America's departure has consequences for its own politics as well. Our Lexington columnist recommends reading this article in Foreign Affairs, which details the delicate balance between American interventionism and isolationism. This poll shows how unusually non-partisan Americans are about involvement in Afghanistan. Mike Martin, a former British Army officer turned academic who served in Helmand province in Afghanistan, has posted several in-depth Twitter threads in the past month on the situation. Looking towards the future, the prognosis for Ashraf Ghani's government looks increasingly gloomy. America's intelligence agencies have become more downbeat, concluding it could collapse within six months. America's 20-year war may be ending, but for Afghanistan, things may only get worse. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Earl Warren, who died on this day in 1974. I always turn to the sports section first. The sports section records people's accomplishments. The front page nothing but man's failures. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.